Hi there. Welcome to Joe's Table Alaska, where I explore the food industry in the interior region of the state of Alaska. Interior Alaska invites all types of agricultural interests, from farming, foraging, to ranching, and encourages entrepreneurs who are engaged in sustainable growing of all produce all year long, despite the many challenges of the cold weather in our state. Food security, sustainable farming, agriculture, and growing our own food. These are important issues for us in the interior of Alaska. This is where we live. This is where we raise families and work towards self-sufficiencies. In this podcast, I speak with farmers, foragers, ranchers, butchers, and also with people who are dedicated and helping year-round with the food security for those in our community who have the need. I speak with people engaged in growing vegetables, in growing flowers, beekeeping, mushroom foraging, and many, many other endeavors. These are people who embrace agriculture to produce the most essential ingredient for us and for our livelihood, food. I bring their challenges, their journey, and their stories to you. I'm Joe, and this is Joe Stable Alaska. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Denali State Bank. As a local community bank based in Fairbanks, Alaska, Denali State Bank believes in the importance of food security, self-sufficiency, and supports the homegrown agricultural-related activities that make food available, accessible, and most importantly, improves the quality of life for all Alaskans. Discover more at Denali State Bank. On this episode, I'm speaking with Cindy Warblow. She is an interior Alaskan horticulturalist, the quintessential gardener, an avid fan of perennials, and she's an author. She has successfully been engaged in greenhouse and nursery business for almost four decades. So let's join in as we converse greenhouses. Hi, Cindy. Let's start with your background and schooling. I heard that you were homeschooled. Homeschooled all the way through high school because there was no school and at that time Alaska did not run buses as far as they do now. And um, then I went to the University of Alaska, eventually to University of Michigan, and then to Oregon State, both the last two for grad school. Then I was in zoology, but one day I went into the greenhouses at Ann's Greenhouse, and I knew that I was, uh, that was what I was meant to do. So then I got into greenhouse uh, nursery business out in Two Rivers and then in Fairbanks. So did you complete your uh, education? Yeah, I, I got a bachelor's from the University of Alaska in biology and then University of Michigan, um, a master's in zoology. That got a little bit interrupted because my dad was injured um, in an explosion. So I came back home to help with that. He was in a coma and so um, ended up at, um, in Seattle. And then I switched to Oregon State at that point so that I could be close to him because my mom and my brothers were keeping the business going. So, yeah. so I was in a, a PhD program at Oregon State, but after about three years, I um, discovered horticulture. So <laughs> that was the end of my zoology career. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't get into your um, greenhouse passion uh, in Oregon. It, it sounds like it was more here that this happened. Right. I, I probably only took one botany class in my life, but yes, it was after I came back to Alaska, that's when I 
got into the greenhouse business. Um, Steve Tack and I started Tax General Store, and that was. What year was that? Um, we opened the store. We opened the store in 1980, and we got involved in in growing plants and, and the farmer's market and eventually the greenhouse starting in 1978. And Anne's greenhouse probably was slightly different than how it is today. Uh, yes. Be- well, no, it's a lot the same. <laughs> I love Anne's greenhouse. And, and of course, I, wor- I actually worked for Anne one spring. Yeah, when Anne was <clears throat> alive, uh, we lived uh, off of Murphy Dome. And so that's where I shopped for all of my flowers. And okay. I didn't grow any vegetables back then. Um, and I would say to her, when I retire, I'm going to come volunteer at your greenhouse and, and just play in the dirt. She says, yeah, you do that. And uh, I never did that. Of course, she's passed away, and her daughter is doing a fantastic job. Right, Linda's uh, doing It's a great, great greenhouse. It is. Right. So you and Steve Tack decided to open uh, a greenhouse, and I remember it well. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. How did that whole concept emerge? What did you have to do to get it going, and what were some of your challenges? Well, we we decided we actually after we right after we got married, we moved out and ran Angel Creek Lodge for a year, and we decided we liked living out of town like that. But we wanted we chose uh, 24 Mile Chain Hot Springs Road because we determined that that was where the wind died down when we would <laughs> drive into town, and um, so we built our house. But our goal was to start farming. And so we um, cleared land, and the year after we built our house, we're growing vegetables and then got involved with several other farming families in Fairbanks and started the Tananaw Valley Farmer's Market. But we realized that that was kind of a seasonal thing, and we needed an income during the winter. So that was when we decided, well, actually, we decided to we wanted to sell produce close to home as well as in town. So we decided we needed to build a produce stand, but we need something that would generate income year-round. So that was when we built the first edition of Tax General Store, and we were a true value hard store, hardware store and a grocery. And then we added on two more times in the, in the next couple of years, and it grew into um, the Greenhouse Cafe and, and the store. And the greenhouse bedding plant part of the greenhouse was um, kind of sneaky on my part because we we're supposed to be growing vegetables. <laughs> but I started growing a few flowers and and that really kind of took off. And eventually we became too busy to do the farmer's market. And we ended up um, just adding greenhouses to the store. And that's where I got into the kind of the ornamental side of greenhouse growing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So did you continue to have a, a like a stand in Two Rivers um, after you left the, the farmer's market? No, we, um, we kind of started growing hay, always grew a vegetable garden for ourselves, but um, the store was pretty all-consuming. I bet. Yeah. And the restaurant, the cafe. Right. Yeah. yeah, the cafe. And, you know, there was a gas station and a post office and hardware and toys and gifts and groceries. It was... Um, when we finally, when we did leave there uh, and we sold it, the last year, I think I did 57 W-2s. It was, it took a lot of time. In Two Rivers, it probably was uh, one-of-a-kind establishment, right? Um, because uh, one-stop shop kind of thing? Right, yeah. Tax General Store had its own, had a life of its own there for 20 years. <laughs> and, uh, you know, an interesting part of my life, but, and a very busy part, but I, but then when it was, when it was done, I was ready to be done. Yeah, yeah. So, and I actually, I should mention that um, after my daughter and son were probably maybe six and nine, I went, I hadn't been back to the farmer's market since we had stopped selling produce. And I went, went back one day, and the next Saturday I was back there selling. But I was selling plants and, you know, perennials, perennials and annuals yeah. and wicker baskets of flowers and things like that. Did that for about 10 years. So when you say it was a tanana. Tana Valley? Tana Valley Farmer's Market. Farmer's right. Market. Mm-hmm. Is it the same as what we have today? That was the beginning of it, right. Okay. We started out, um, Al and Bruce, George, and um, Ann and Virgil Severance, Marilyn and Gordon Harrod were some of the first people that were involved um, with it. And we started out in tents there in front of the fairgrounds. Mm-hmm. And then eventually we um, got a grant to build a building that Mark Fage designed. 
and then we sold from that building. But it was always a problem during the fair because it was a time when we when produce was at the peak and we had everybody had lots to sell. And of course, parking was a problem. And so that's what eventually spurred the move further down the road. Well, I guess you could call yourselves charter members of the farmer's market. I guess that would be one word. <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody's got to start something. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, over time in Fairbanks, I think there have been many times that people sold produce, but that was um, sort of the beginning of a, you know, it, of, of a market that would endure for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I have spoken about this to other guests, that when we got here in 75, and um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. my mom's used to tons of produce mm-hmm. and fresh every day. And so she came here, she just hardly had any produce options in the grocery stores that were then present. And uh, she was quite challenged by by the, the lack of availability of fresh produce. I don't believe she says the same thing today because <laughs> <laughs> not only are the stores uh, stocking a wide variety of, of produce, right. you know, the farmer's market is just a joy to her. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Our the stores. I mean, there are more stores, and they have they do have amazing produce. And then yeah, the market in the summer. And I of course I don't know if there's more, but I, I think there is. I I know when we first started um, selling bedding plants, the vegetable side of it was minor compared to the the flower side, and that has changed over the years. There's a lot yeah. more home gardeners. I think. I think it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, when when you have schools that have plots and Kids are involved all summer long in raising vegetables, mm-hmm. and you know they get to see where their food comes from, right. and, and it's not from a, a packet or right. you know microwavable dish. Right. Uh, it, it's a good thing, you know. Yes, and, yeah, uh, and even if you're growing just for yourself and and your family, I believe it's a it's a good thing for people to engage in. Uh, right. I I would actually like to see even more people growing their own food. You know, converting maybe some of the front yards to gardens, vegetable uh-huh. gardens, and yeah. uh, I think it is important for people in general, but it's important for kids. Yeah, the challenges are many because it's a seasonal activity, right? And, right. Uh, but there are some root vegetables you can grow and store over the colder months. Uh, a lot of people do. Um, in fact, uh, I was visiting uh, one of the establishments here, uh, a business, and this uh, guy in the corner of his office, he had a hydroponic tower. And he's, you know, growing kale and stuff in there. And right. I was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, you can, you know, I I freeze a lot. Like, I, I have all my own garlic, onions, green, you know, all, all kinds of peppers, broccoli, cauliflower, applesauce I made from, you know, my apples. You can grow a, a lot of food and you can you can store it. A cold cellar, of course, is wonderful, but I actually just put an extra fridge in my garage because I realized that was probably going to be more reasonable expense yeah. than building a cold cellar. And so I, I keep carrots all, I mean, my carrot crop lasted from one season to the next. I, when I was harvesting, I still had a few from the year before that were good. Yeah. So... I remember driving to the Two Rivers Cafe. Mm-hmm. Um, Greenhouse Cafe. My dad loved flowers and wanted to plant, and, and we would go there looking. But really, the kids were there just for the pie. Right. <laughs> so we yes. all went there to have yes. a piece of the pie. That was very I, famous. I still have those pie recipes, and when I look at them, I'm, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of sugar in there. <laughs> but they were good. Yeah, well, they were pretty popular. Right, and, pies uh, were very popular. And people drove mm. the 20-plus miles to go have a cup of coffee and a slice of pie. So that's a good reputation to have. Right, right. yes, it went well with the greenhouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, while you're here, look at our greenhouse. So it was a good formula. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. we even yeah. had, remember we had picnic tables out in the greenhouse. <laughs> yeah. You could eat in among yeah, the plants. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It, it was really cool. So when, when that shut down, how long before you started Plant Kingdom? Um, I actually started the Plant Kingdom um, while well, we still own Tax General Store. I see. And um, I'd always wanted to test the waters in town. And so um, we built the main greenhouse, and but we were we were ready to, you know, to kind of change directions. So 
we sold the store in 2000. I guess it was 2000. And um, and at that time, then I was, well, for two years, I had to have someone manage the plant kingdom because I was still out in Two Rivers. But then I kind of, we moved into town and then I would, and brought a bunch of the greenhouses from Two Rivers because in Two Rivers, we lived about a mile from the store. So we had mm-hmm. five greenhouses there and five at the store. And then I actually I grew plants for the store for a year or so, but then the store burned about a year after we had sold it. And so, um, yeah, then I was at the Plant Kingdom. Did they ever rebuild after it burned? No, unfortunately, they, they Steve and I met with them numerous times because we wanted as much as they did to to um, start over but and they had a good design um, but it was just you know it was going to cost a lot more to rebuild the store yeah. than we had sold it for and too bad they they couldn't have but that wasn't what happened the is it the fiddler street oh fiddler fiddler I say, I, there's lots of ways to say it. <laughs> i say fiddler but i'm not sure that's correct uh great location big spread of greenhouses and a lot of perennial gardens, and, and that was my attraction to go mm-hmm. there, is to just look at how you were growing your, your perennial gardens there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, you know, <laughs> sell tickets to view that. It was really beautiful. Over the years, of course, you know, I transitioned into trying to grow a few more vegetables, but that space was pretty big in, in my mind, and, and I, I felt, how does she do it? Because every time I went there, you were there, watering, moving stuff. I mean, so it had to be a long day and a lot of work to get that establishment running smoothly. And I know you had other people there, but you had to be there all the time. Well, you know, in in Two Rivers, um, you know, I learned about greenhousing from Anne Dolney and Lee Rissy and Chuck and Elaine Hawks were all mentors of mine. And but it was you know a little bit of a homestead operation. We added on as we um, as things grew. So by the time I I built the Plant Kingdom, I I knew a little bit more about exactly how I wanted to do the physical plant and was in a little better position to do that. So to me, the Plant Kingdom was a dream to run, <laughs> because I um, I had it planned out the way I wanted it, and it was a good physical plant. But it, it was a lot of work, but I, th- that I watched the clock, but only because it was going too fast. And in, this, in the spring, you know, a lot of times I wouldn't leave there till midnight and you're back down there at six, but I loved doing it. It was a great, a great career yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah, and and a great place for people to go and, and purchase their, their flowers and, and produce. Right. And their shrubbery because Right. Yeah. We we I always said the greenhouse business is a combination of science and art and entrepreneurship and working with people, which were all things that it turned out I, I enjoy. And uh, we had wonderful customers and um, all through even when we were out in two rivers, a lot of the greenhouse crew I had are still longtime friends. Um, yeah. it's it's a it's a great environment to work in and it's real intense and it's real rewarding. What are some of the challenges that you faced? The things that made me lay awake at night. <laughs> you always worry about a furnace going out with an alarm not going off and you in fr- freezing a greenhouse, which never happened, but I worried about it a lot. Um, weather is always can be a problem, but I always remember um, a salesman from Bailey Nursery who I really respected saying that you should never blame the weather for your failures or your successes. Oh. And so it's just, you know, you work around it. And, um, you know, there's always concerns about you lay out all your money for labor and heat and plants that you ship in before before you bring any of it back in. So there's always concern at how's this year going to be? Is it going to, um, am I on the right track here? But, um, and there's just worries. There's the economy, things that can, that can change mm-hmm. how people shop. Um, but yeah, there was, there's plenty of stress with it. But I, like I say, I never, I never dreaded going to work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have um, labor shortages and not enough people that could work or volunteer? No, um, I was really lucky. I I had a core crew that, I mean, I had one person that worked for me, um, and I don't know if I would say worked for me, more worked with me. Um, we were all working for the plants. But she worked, um, gosh, probably 25 or 30 years, started in Two Rivers and worked up into her 80s in Fairbanks here at, at the Plant Kingdom. So I, I had a group of people 
that that stuck with it for many years. And and about the time someone would move on, I would think, oh, I'll never find somebody that good again. But then there always someone showed up. I never really had trouble hiring people for it. Um, And we used, we've had teenagers, um, had a lot of homeschool kids that worked Uh for us because their schedule was a little more flexible. And so, you know, some of them are now doctors and architects and, (laughs) you know, business people in the community, which that was rewarding too. Yeah. Um, Did you worry about power outages Mm -hmm. and you have generators to combat that? Yes. Power outages were one of my great fears that goes along with the heat going out. And we had alarms in all the greenhouses, um, sensophones that called, you know, if the power went out or if the temperature dropped. But um, in Two Rivers, we had a bunch of little generators. And so when the power would go off, of course, we had two locations because we sold at the store. And then we had the greenhouses a mile away where we grew. So Steve would be at the store starting up little generators and I'd be at the farm starting them up. That was a little dicey, but we never froze anything. And then when I got to uh, Plant Kingdom, I still had the small generators, but eventually I, um, first I bought a um, PTO-driven generator for my tractor, and that, I realized that would, problem with that is that, you know, usually it's bad weather when the power goes out and then you're outside trying to do this. And then I I also had a big uh, gas generator that I could roll out of the um, mechanical building. But eventually I got a Kubota generator that's installed inside the mechanical building and it doesn't start up automatically but it's indoors and that was a huge a huge thing when the power goes off yes you have to be there and start it but you have a way to protect everything and it it is connected to all greenhouses right it will run all of them i have proven that a couple of times (laughs) (laughs) or i did that's a blessing yes (laughs) with my heart pounding How about um, excessive snowfall? Did you ever have to worry about that? Right. That That's another um, worry. It's amazing how I've forgotten some of these worries. <laughs> that was that is something that ties you to it all the time because, well, on all of them, you can't let snow build up on the roof. And I did have the experience in 1992, the year of the big snow, when the power went out. Uh, we were out for a week or so in Two Rivers, and we had just put up a new Quonset greenhouse that we didn't have a furnace in yet. And so we had a space heater in there, and we were madly trying to keep snow off the other greenhouses and keep generators going to run the store. And in the process, one night, the space heater went out, and that greenhouse collapsed. And so I know what a, you know, the ridge pole on the ground looks like. Um, so, but yeah, you have to, I had rakes, you know, a snow rakes uh, for raking the greenhouses. And one of the greenhouses, we always had to melt the roof because it was too high to, to rake or too distant. So yeah, snow removal is a problem. You can start your greenhouses up and heat them, and let them melt like that. You know, you think of fuel prices when you do that. So exactly. I generally tried to mechanically rake them when I could. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When we are wandering around uh, the greenhouses and, and our vision is always uh, on the tables mm-hmm. where, the, where the plants are mm-hmm. and where the beautiful stuff is. Mm-hmm. You know, we never look up to see what could be happening up on the top <laughs> of the greenhouse. Right. And people don't think of these challenges that what you have to deal with uh, right. to, in order to do what you're doing. Right. Yeah. I think that that's probably true true of everything. It's there's lots of places that are fun to go to, but you might not want to have to own or be responsible <laughs> for. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, and the, you know, despite the the worries, um, you know, probably in the long term, I my some of my memories. I mean, some really strong memories are of the greenhouse at one in the morning in May when there's just beautiful low light, there's no phones ringing, everything is water. The beauty of of the greenhouse and the magic of how fast the plants grow and how they do their own thing is, that makes it all worth it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember going and saying, you know, do you have any basil? And uh, the answer was no, but come back next week. Right. Uh, and I said, how fast do these things grow? But apparently fast, you know. And uh, right. uh, and I went back next week, and sure enough, you know, my, my dad was always looking for purple basil. I went all the time looking for purple basil for him. And it eventually uh, showed up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, I, you know, we would, uh, I would start, my crew would usually start like mid-March. And by the 1st of April, so a couple of weeks, we would have three greenhouses full and be up and running. And wow. you, you just couldn't believe that it would happen, but it always came together. 
And that is amazing. It, it's it's just a peek inside what mm-hmm. goes on before mm-hmm. we get to come and, mm-hmm. and load our carts up, right? Right. Uh, yeah. It's, and a lot of it's just the magic of the plants and the light. You, you don't feel like you're really in control. I always felt like I was just guiding the plants and they kind of were in charge. <laughs> so when I do my little um, raised bed mm-hmm. and I, I plant a few vegetables, your typical mm-hmm. tomato, zucchini, mm-hmm. peppers, mm-hmm. kale, chard, Mm-hmm. Cabbages. I've seen. I've seen your raised bed. I think. I think I saw that. <laughs> and it's it's kind of uh, a fun thing for me. Mm-hmm. Some things do well. Some don't. So mm-hmm. that's part of life too. Then I'm moving more into um, container gardening. Oh. Mm-hmm. So I I just um, move things into containers now, and I say, oh, well, they don't do too badly. But I I read up a lot, and I'm not educated in this area. And I'm always thinking, is my soil right? Is the pH right? Uh, should I worry about it? So did you guys worry about all of that? The pH and the, you know, the um, nitrogen levels and all of that in your plants as you're growing Well, them? you know, when we were growing vegetables for the farmer's market, yes, you know, we that was real important. On, uh, I mean, fertilizing and what was in it and adding things that were specific for certain crops was important because you've got a lot invested. And in the greenhouse, definitely, you know, the only, it's almost more crucial there because your plants only have a small yes, amount of soil yes. and what there's nowhere else they can go to get <laughs> get anything. So, right, we, and, and the water in the area of Farmer's Loop where I am now and where the plant kingdom is, is very, um, alkaline and so we actually had to add injectors that injected sulfuric acid for to bring the pH down. We had fertilizer injectors that we monitored that injected fertilizer. You're always putting in a low level of fertilizer. I got into um, a, a fertilizer that's basically made from soybean waste and I really, um, first it was called Daniel's Fertilizer now it's called Nature's Source but it's yeah. a, it wasn't. So it's an organic based fertilizer. I've seen the Daniels fertilizer bottles in, in the greenhouse. I often wondered about that. I never asked the question. But when when you are looking at injecting fertilizers uh, and other needed nutrients, uh-huh. uh, do you think organic or is it more chemical? Well, I when I started, it was more chemical. You know, we used a lot of the maybe high salt, uh, water soluble fertilizers. Um, the organic fertilizer was important to me, and um, the other thing that that matters. Uh, one of the, one of the other worries in the greenhouse business is insect pests, and so um, and. The, the way it works now, that we grow a lot from seed, but there are a lot of plants that come in. They're patented plants. They come in as plugs. And so that you have an, in March in Fairbanks, if you're growing something from seed, you don't have to worry about aphids, for example. But if you're shipping things in, as careful as everybody is, you still can sure. have them brought in. So, and I, I never sprayed or used pesticides uh, preventatively, but when we had a problem, then you'd have to deal with it. I, that was part of the greenhouse business that I most didn't like. And, But gosh, probably, I don't know, five years into when I started the plant kingdom, I got into biological pest control where you ship in uh, various insects that prey on non-desirables. Oh, okay. And it's expensive. Um, they're probably paying $1,000 a week for that kind of for the biologicals to be shipped in. But for me, it completely changed uh, my view of things because it's basically a predator-prey relationship. So you don't have, um, you're not breeding resistance to pesticides um, and you're not harming people and plants and animals, you know, in the environment. And it's pretty effective. And I now have green a greenhouse at my house and that's my total bug control there is with other bugs that I ship in. When did you sell Plant Kingdom? I sold it in um, January of 2017. And part of the agreement is that I would stay on two years as a mentor or we decided I should stay on a third year, which I did. And then I helped for a couple more years, but now, now I'm on my own. Okay, okay. <laughs> And, and the new owner is on their own. Right, so that, right. that, that's a good thing. Right. The time frame that you invested in mentoring certainly yeah, helped. You know, yeah. Uh, because the business is still going. And right. at the end of the day, I think for every business person who 
uh, cells, what they have started with a lot of passion and, mm-hmm. and uh, hard work and resources. It's their vision to see it going on, right. that, that it doesn't right. just shut yes. down, Yeah, and it's in good hands. So it yeah. sounds like it is. Yeah, it's like when you sell your home or something, <laughs> yeah. you always like to go back and see that it looks good or better. But yeah, I, when when we sold the store and then when I sold the Plant Kingdom, I, I had... Um, I didn't have seller's remorse in e- either situation. I decided that that was a section of my life that I sure. that was great, yeah. and um, but I was ready to move on, so I I did. So it's it's been good. So tell me about your your home. You're doing a lot of growing in your home, mm-hmm. and um, you gave a presentation to Rotary not too oh, long right. ago, and and I was there, and and all the work you had done to convert some of the the available land Mm -hmm. into, you know, just spectacular gardens. So how much of that time is devoted on a daily basis to maintain what you're doing? Well, um, first I should say that I I started, you know, once I, um, the place I live now had a lot of pavement in front of it. Yeah. (laughs) And so um, I lived there for um, probably about eight years. And then we moved my mom in from Toke and built her a little house there when she was 93. And so then I realized I'm going to, this is my home. (laughs) So I got rid of the pavement and um, started building gardens. So that was while I still owned the plant kingdom. So I built most of it while I was still, you know, involved with the plant kingdom. Right. Now I can, in the morning, I can water. When I had the plant kingdom, I'd water everything in the morning, whether it needed it or not. When it came back at night, I'd water it, whether it needed it or not. And now I can sort of baby it, you know, and I can. um, So it's been more fun to take care of it. I love doing it so much that I don't really think of it as as work at all. It does tie me down. I between um, my gardens and having pets. (laughs) <laughs> it's hard to leave in the summertime. You know, I have annuals and perennials, and I have containers, and I have lots of vegetable garden and fruit. And really, the containers, of course, need water every day. Sure. But um, everything else, once I, I do a lot of mulching with grass clippings for weed control and moisture retention, and, um, and of course, deadheading is important. But the maintenance is something that if you just put a day, uh, you know, an hour or two into it each day, you're, you know, you can mm-hmm. maintain it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you teach uh, people how to grow perennials out from your home. You have some classes. Right. I um, got um, got connected with the Fairbanks Folk School uh, several years ago, which is just a great group to work with. It is. And um, so I do several classes in the in May on container um, design and planting. And then I do several like in July on perennials. And the good part is that um, we can do that right at my place. So th- it's it's a lab that we can <laughs> yeah. work in. And yeah. it's it's been great. I've really enjoyed working with them. And I've, I do a few classes on my own, and I do a little bit of garden design yeah. for folks. But um, the folk school has been great. And also, there could be a group of friends that just say, oh, would you teach there's, you know, 10 of us or 12 Right, of I've us. done that too. Yeah, it's it's really nice. I After I sold the Plant Kingdom uh, that next summer, I bought a little $100 plastic greenhouse from Amazon <laughs> <laughs> and had it on my deck. But after a year or so, I realized I, I really want, I want a real greenhouse. And so the last greenhouse I built at the Plant Kingdom if I could have taken it with me, I would have. But I, I um, realized that I could build a smaller version of it. So when people come into my greenhouse, I explain, this is my Valdez boat, my Super Cub, my <laughs> snow machine. Um, it's I love that greenhouse, and it allows me to grow all my own um, you know, bedding plants. But also it's a great little um, classroom. And it has heated floors, I hear. It has heat, yes. It has an insulated <laughs> part and a glass part. And so the, grow, the uh, grow shelves and the boiler and everything are in the insulated part. And then it has a separate zone for the floors in the insulated part and a separate zone for the glass part. And then I also have a couple little unit heaters in the glass part. So I shut it down about the end of September, and I try not to start it before the third week in March. But I keep the insulated part heated all winter so I can keep, like, geraniums and things in there that I want to have for cuttings in the spring. Was that something that um, was built locally for you? Yes, it was. uh, There was actually a person, um, Tom Stugart from Buchanan Electric, 
and then Richard Cook from uh, Cook's Building. Tom did a lot of the electrical work at the Plant Kingdom, a lot of emergency fixing of things, and so he and Richard uh, built it. They, they were, they're both very talented guys and did a really good job. It sounds lovely. I have not seen it. Oh, you have but to come I've, visit. But I've heard all <laughs> okay. about it, you know, from, from my friends who have taken your classes. Okay. You mentioned uh, your mom and bringing her from Toke. So you're born and raised in Alaska. Is that true? Well, that's not quite true. Okay, okay. <laughs> the year I was born, the, my parents came up here in the early 40s, and then uh, they taught up north, and I guess it's more like the mid-40s. And um, But the year I was born, they came up here and hadn't been home for three years. So they went outside to Wisconsin, where they were from, and I was born, and Dad learned to fly, and then came back up, and I was born in Menominee, Wisconsin, and I was six weeks old when we came back. I've been back to Wisconsin a few times since then. But lived in quite a few different places before you settled in Fairbanks. Yeah, they were, Mom and Dad were teaching in Shungnack when I was born, and then we were in Unalakleet, Selawick, and then they came down to Tetlin. And Dad had taught in Elam before he and Mom were married. So, But then when they were in Tetlin, by that time, while well, Dad was flying, he was doing a little flying on the side. He was kind of tired of teaching for the Bureau of Indian Affairs. And so they um, bought, well, they took up a homestead outside of Toke, but there was some questions about whether it might be on Tetlin Reservation land. It wasn't, but before that got resolved, they bid on this. Uh, it was an uh, Alaska communication site. It was a military site. Okay. The, this about 25 miles east of Toke. And... They um, eventually converted it into a lodge, and Dad got into, you know, commercial flying. And so that's that's where I, I feel like I grew up. I was there from the time I was about eight until I went to college. Oh, nice. Toke's such a nice community, you know. Right. I, yeah. lo- I love yeah. that area down yeah. there. I never felt... I never felt a part of Toke because we didn't go to school in Toke. You know, mm-hmm. we were all homeschooled, and... Uh, but now, as an adult, I feel a little more attached to it, although my heart's still at Cathedral Bluffs. <laughs> <laughs> Let's uh, kind of uh, circle back to the mission of my work, and, and that is to talk about food security, talk mm-hmm. about uh, challenges. You know, how, how, how do you feel about that? You know, when, when I read that 90 to 95% of our food is grown somewhere else and brought here, we only grow 5%. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think we can even say we grow 10%. Only 5% mm-hmm. of our food is grown here. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts on how could we uh, advance that needle so there's a little bit more food security here and what will it take? Well, that question has lots of different parts to it. But, and I think, I don't know, you may have these numbers, I don't know what percent of our food was grown locally, say, in 1940 or 1950. I suspect more, maybe, um, because now there is not, there's not the push to do it when you can go to lots sure, of great sure. grocery stores in Fairbanks. So there's not that pressure of we have to grow our food. And, of course, like during the pandemic when we got to see empty grocery shelves, then of course we we start thinking about it. I grow a lot of my own food. You wouldn't know it from my grocery bill, but <laughs> but I there's a lot of food you know things that I don't sure. buy at all because I've grown, I have them in my freezer. Um, and I do that because I like knowing that I know how to grow my own food. That's yeah. important to me. I've seen various state and borough programs to push on agriculture. I'm a little cynical about a lot of them. I think it has to be a little more grassroots. And I know another program was just passed in here in our last election, I think. Um, my understanding is that it's more for um, food than ornamentals. And I think a lot of the f- of the big food growing, like Ann's Greenhouse and Rissy's, um, you know, the, the ornamentals is an important part of the business plan. Yeah. It's, so, and I, yeah. I think we need to to realize that that just growing vegetables is a tough a, a tough way to make a living and you need these a job on the side or maybe be growing ornamentals sure. or something like sure. that 
Um, but one of the things that I, I wish we would see more of, people converting their front yards to food. I would go so even so far as to look at maybe tax advantages for that, you know, in terms of property tax. I, I, that's maybe getting into a sticky area, but anything that would encourage um, individuals to be able to grow <laughs> their own, because you can grow a lot. And, of course, it depends on where you live in Fairbanks, too. Sure. Um, our climate has changed. I mean, what what you can grow now and what you could grow when I was growing up are different. Mm-hmm. You know, I have cherries, tons of cherries in the freezer, apples, um, lots of different kinds of berries. I actually had some plums last year. So there are a lot of things yeah. that we can grow that we, we could didn't a few years back. And it doesn't have to be in a greenhouse. I, I don't grow hardly any. The only thing I grow in my greenhouse as a food product is is peppers. I put in some pots of peppers. But I do have a nice south slope area. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's lots of, you know, there's lots of places in Fairbanks where we could probably be people could be growing their own. But it does take time, and it's. I think a lot of people have jobs that take a lot of time, and then maybe um, it's a different way of living. If you're going to be producing a lot of your own food, you may not have as much time for something else. That maybe it's more economical to have a job. And I don't. One of my one thing that I really wish we had is a, a railroad to to the lower states. You know, so that we had another way of getting food here. We have some pretty tenuous. Um, situations, which again, we saw the weakness of it during COVID when things kind of went topsy-turvy. Yes. yes. So um, I would I would love to see, for many reasons, I would love to see a railroad to Washington through Canada. You know, and, and again, living where we do, there's so many challenges and it's not just uh, the cold or the short growing season. Right. It's transportation. It's, it's uh, right. the desire of the people who could be spending their summers doing something different than toiling mm-hmm. um, all season long. Um, I'm, I'm starting to see more younger people engaged in farming. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the next generation, so to speak, and mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. have maybe more expansive ideas on, on how mm-hmm. to do the same thing, but with new methods. Mm-hmm. And um, I know I spoke with uh, one of my, my guests um, had um, interest in uh, hydroponics and, mm-hmm. and teaching people how to do how to grow hydroponics, mm-hmm. he has a hydroponic farm. He calls in his cabin, uh, and uh, he's producing right now greens, mm-hmm. herbs, and and mm-hmm. you know you know spinach and lettuce and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And he can like four hundred plants a week, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, and, well, and it's amazing to me that people can do that. Uh, for myself, I wouldn't need four hundred lettuce plants every week you know I don't know what to do with it but it's good to then have those available co-op or roaming route and places like that right I think one thing um, that sometimes we don't factor in is to grow things I two winters when we were in two rivers I ran a greenhouse all winter long, and that was when fuel was 99 cents a gallon Um, but you have to add light and the limiting fact, the, the expensive factor was not necessarily the heat. Um, to run the lights to grow in the winter is a huge, huge consideration. Yeah. And um, I'm not sure how you can get around that unless you've got some alternative, you know, fairly inexpensive way of producing electricity, which yeah. we don't really have. I, on a year-round basis, producing a very high percentage of our own food, I don't think is super realistic. Um, I think using the summer to, 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 to produce and, and save, I mean, I know when when we were growing in Two Rivers, we were, one of our specialties was broccoli. And um, I remember one year we had uh, one ton of broccoli in our cold cellar, but we didn't have a market for it. And I, I wished, I thought, we need, you know, we need a freezer plant, plant in Fairbanks because you, our growing conditions are challenging in one way, but another way we have it better than a lot of places because there aren't a lot of pests. You have things grow fast, and things like you know the cold crops like broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower do really well. Yeah. And so we and, and carrots, you know, really good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so. 
we, I think we're pretty lucky in terms of growing conditions. And something else I should mention is that when we were growing, when we had our ton of broccoli, it was this, the um, stores, you know, at that time it was Safeway, Market va- Basket, um, they weren't real user-friendly to buying local produce. And I think that has, I think that has changed. Mm-hmm. We, we sold mm-hmm. a lot to restaurants and, of course, to just individual people. But I think there is, one, one thing that's changed since I started out with vegetables is, a, a positive attitude about local. Yes. I think that's... And the consumer's looking for it. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so the restaurants, you know, mm-hmm. then cater to the consumer's, you mm-hmm. know, desires, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there's restaurants that highlight, you mm-hmm. know, the, the local produce, and this right, week we're right. doing this. And uh, I think it's great. Yeah. I wondered if there was a need for the interior Alaska farmers to get together in a day-long forum and uh, talk about the very things that you're bringing up, you know, the storage, the food hubs. How how do we do things a little differently? And uh, there seems to be interest. Mm-hmm. Um, Fairbanks Economic Development Corporation is uh, working with the farmers in the mm-hmm. interior. Mm-hmm. And ascertaining their their interest, will mm-hmm. they attend? Mm-hmm. What's the topics they might be mm-hmm. interested in? And we're getting some good feedback and thinking more like maybe February, March time mm-hmm. frame to do something like this. Mm-hmm. Get get uh, people together to talk about how do we handle this in interior Alaska, mm-hmm. and and move the needle forward. Uh, UAF, mm-hmm. uh, the Institute of Agriculture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and natural resources and extension is interested. So there's a lot of people that might be interested, mm-hmm. and um, we'll see where that goes. Mm-hmm. So is that something you think, uh, just as a um, person who's been engaged in agriculture, mm-hmm. is should we even do stuff like that? Because everybody's doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. Should we see how do mm-hmm. we do things better if mm-hmm. we combine our talents? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I think, you know, maybe Alaskan in general and I and maybe Alaskans who farm you know everybody's pretty independent <laughs> and it's um, there have been a number of you know gatherings like that over the years I'm and uh, there used the last one that I was real involved with was the Alaska greenhouse growers a conference um, there's a peony growers conference final cause of death of the greenhouse conference was there were a lot of state local agencies involved in it you know the years that we would get like speakers from outside um, and um, we had one sales rep that was very good at getting you know national level speakers for us and those were interesting conferences but eventually it just became a lot of different government agencies and you know what if if I were trying to grow vegetables in Fairbanks or even in the greenhouse business like um Cooperative Extension used to be a huge source of information, very active, and that became less and less so as Hmm. time went on. Hmm. Um, The university used to have uh, trial, vegetable trials and flower trials that they published, and I I used those a lot. I would go up there and make notes of things that were doing well. They published a, a pamphlet at the end of the year on the vegetables. I don't think, I mean, I don't know if they're doing it now, but there's been a long period that they didn't do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so resource dwindled as time went yeah, on. Yeah. And I know even the farmer's market, and, and the funny thing is that it's kind of the way now that Steve and I envisioned it a long time ago, even though at the time it's we knew it's, we were a little embarrassed to think, to admit that, but it has more of a fair feeling to it. You know, I mean, there's lots of different things going on, and I think that's good. But I think the amount of produce, the percentage that's produce, I think is is not as large as it was. There aren't as many of the big growers. And so I'm not sure what the answer to that is. Um, I I don't know if a conference, you know, getting people together, if it was really um, farmers that were producing things and making, you know, part of their living that way, that would be great. How you would how you would um, entice them to come? I, and I can't speak for them because that I'm not doing that now. But yeah. I know that was a problem that we ran into. Um, yeah. Well, anything is worth yeah. try. You yeah. know? And uh, I I think that um, the proof will be if a there is interest. Right. B that they actually uh, walk away 
feeling that this was a productive session. Right. Uh, otherwise, you know, we wasted everybody's time. Right. right? And, and that's not, not what we want to do. And so. the timing is important. You know, I know the greenhouse conference for some, you know, there's one period of time when it was in the fall. And then there was another period of time, everybody was like, we need to have it early in the spring. And so, because in the fall, and this was just specific to the greenhouses, you know, they sometimes if there were like some of the uh, shows and conferences out of state were in the fall after the season is kind of, so people would buckle up their greenhouses and they didn't, you know, they were going to be doing something else. And then in the spring, the problem was that some people started heating greenhouses in say January. So February and March, if, if they were going to have to go someplace like, because we rotated between Fairbanks and Anchorage and Soldotna, you know, and, and yeah. so yeah. even little things like that were, were sure. big problems. Sure. Oh, yeah. yeah, timing is everything, mm-hmm. right? Right, you know, right. And, uh, so you just have to throw yeah. up. But I think late fall or early spring is probably better than, than you know, it's a good time to start. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you wrote a book, mm-hmm. and how, uh, how did that come about? While I was still running the Plant Kingdom, I did a lot of classes at the Plant Kingdom, and... Um, and did some consulting and garden design. And, and my, you know, my passion was, well, I loved everything about it, but I did really like perennials. And so then after I, I decided that after I sold the greenhouse, my next goal was going to be to put together a, a book that was really, you know, the skeleton was classes that I had done. And and I was particularly um, enamored with the whole concept of, of sequential bloom and perennials, which when you work with people like at the, the green or customers at the greenhouse, a lot of times one of the misunderstood things was that you know, you can't just buy perennials that are in bloom because, the, you know, then your your garden will only bloom during that period of time. So um, it's Northern Garden Symphony, and it, it really addresses growing ornamentals in Fairbanks, but it's specifically very strong on perennials. And um, one of the parts that I liked best about my book is the charts. So you can, um, there's charts according to bloom time, color, height. So you can say you want a red flowered perennial that blooms mid-season that's short and you can pick it off the charts. So nice. But yeah, the book was was fun to do. University of Alaska Press published it, which was um, meant a lot to me because I graduate from UAF. So it's kind of (laughs) coming full circle. Yeah. Yeah. And it's doing well. I mean, you can buy it at Amazon, right? Right. Yes. You can you can buy it on Amazon and on several, I mean, Barnes and Noble and Several places in town have it, so that's right. nice. Yeah. Any plans on another book? Oh, I have one that I that's in that I think would be fun, but I haven't done it. <laughs> <laughs> How much time did it take you to write that? You know, writing a book, I'm really glad. I, it's sort of like having children. It's a <laughs> it's a it's a much bigger experience than you assume it's going to be. And um, you know, it was published in 2021. You know, I started working seriously on putting it together probably um, the winter of 2018, maybe. And um, Krista West did the design for it. And so, yeah, it's a long process. Yeah. But it uh, it was fun. Yeah. Well, a lot of people that I know, including myself, who have it Good. And, uh, <laughs> and enjoy it, it very, very much. Cindy, this has been a great conversation. I've enjoyed it. I've, I've enjoyed listening to your start at Two Rivers and all of the, the joys and, and trials and tribulations <laughs> there and then moving to Plant Kingdom and now what you're doing just with your own home and your own greenhouses. Uh, you're surrounded by what I would say is an environment that reduces stress. Right. Right. Yes, uh. I would agree with that. <laughs> yes, I, I actually think I have. I've, I, you know, I always thought I would want to um, put a back for many years. I thought, oh, if I could just put a backpack on and go t- just go traveling, not have any responsibilities. But um, I love where I live so much, and I, I love interior Alaska. I have deep roots here, and so yes, I feel lucky every morning. I go out in my garden or look out my window. Thank you again for joining me today, and. Um, I'll uh, look forward to future conversations with you, especially when your next book comes out. Okay, thank you, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Take care. You can find this episode on Podbean, Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. My deep gratitude to my group of supporters. You know who you are. To Andrew Heckman, for writing the beautiful music for this podcast and to the folks at Denali State Bank. 
their commitment to local enterprise, community, and to supporting the emerging sustainable food growing industry is unparalleled. The success of our community is their success. I hope you join me as I continue to explore agricultural and food issue in interior Alaska. Thank you.